and welcome to Are You Kidding Me? My name is Naomi Schaefer-Riley, and I'm a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And I am Ian Rowe, a visiting fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And today we are coming to you from the Manhattan Institute studios in New York City, home of the City Journal podcast 10 Blocks, which you can find wherever you find your podcasts. And our podcast, Are You Kidding Me?, is devoted to talking about systems that are supposed to be serving children, but in fact are not. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. There's been a topic that's in the news recently, mass incarceration. And when folks talk about that, they're primarily talking about the mass incarceration, primarily of men. But what most people don't realize is that since 1980, the number of incarcerated women has grown by more than 750%. It's a staggering number. And ironically, when we're talking about mass incarceration of women, we suddenly become more interested in the children who are being raised. Ironically, we're not as concerned about the mass incarceration of men. But the New York Times just did a very interesting piece about an organization called Girls Embracing Mothers about the practice of having girls visiting their mothers, regardless of the crimes they've committed, in prison. Naomi, you've written a lot about this subject. Can you shed some more light on what's happening with these young girls? Yeah, so it was interesting. The story in the New York Times, I mean, it presents these kind of heartwarming stories of girls who have been separated from their mothers in many cases for years at a time, and this program allows them to go visit them in prison. One of the things that I learned when I started looking into this topic originally was that despite this huge rise in the number of women who are in prison, most states still only actually have one level of prison security Mm. for women. There are not enough women, for better or worse, to have a maximum security and a minimum security prison. So even if your mother is in jail, for instance, or prison for fraudulent checks or something like that, that woman could also be in prison with women who have murdered someone or committed armed robbery or something like that. So I think we need to think very seriously about what the kind of environment is that we are sending these girls into when they go visit their mothers. And it's not only visiting. I wrote a piece last spring in National Affairs about prison nurseries, which are actually places where women can raise their babies up until the age of three in some places. In In, prison? Are you kidding me? I am not kidding you. And there is a huge push to expand these programs now. People think that women should be able to bond with their babies and that this is great for the babies and great for the mothers. That's understandable. I mean, just to give folks a sense of the scale, at least 5 million children or about 7% of American youth have had an incarcerated parent. And that's been with some growth in the black, poor, and rural communities. But ironically, amongst women, it's white mothers who have an incredibly high population of growth within prisons, which is interesting. I mean, I understand the tendency or desire to have mothers bond with their children, but what's it like for a baby ages zero to three being raised in jail? So weirdly enough, as if prison nurseries aren't odd enough, there was actually, yes, a reality TV series on this. It was called Born Behind Bars on A&E. I actually have to say, I can't tell you exactly how realistic it is, although I think it does give you some realistic sense of what a prison environment is like. So part of it is it's very tense environment. You know, there's always... A lot of anger. There's a lot of concern that um, there any just noise. Any, and... No, I mean they're they're kept separately from the other prisoners in this area. But there's always concern, like any time, you know, a woman raises her voice or insults another woman, there's always this looming danger that she's actually going to get kicked out of the program very quickly. And so and what happens to the child? So in that, in that, if the mother is no longer 
meeting the qualifications, like, which could mean, like, if she's no longer acting civil to the woman down the hall, the baby will immediately be taken out of the prison and sent back home to live with another relative for their own safety. And in these situations, has there been an opportunity for the young mother to make a decision around adoption or having someone else take care of the baby? What, what's, the, what's the position of the sentencing judge, for example, who knows that they're about to sentence a woman who's committed a crime? Well, this becomes very difficult because we have laws in this country that say, like, you know, if you are going to be in prison for an extended period of time, I mean, multiple, you know, you, you know, five years, 10 years, you know, are you really going to be continue to be a custodial parent? Are you really going to continue to have parental rights? Now, it's one thing if you say, okay, my mother is, can take care of the child. And so the grandmother is essentially going to be the guardian for this child. Right. Hello, that's what about fine. the father? Right. Well, obviously that never <laughs> happens in these situations. Well, maybe that's a problem too. It, it is absolutely a problem. And sometimes, by the way, you have both parents who are in prison as well, which is a deeply tragic situation. But in this case, I think what you see is that there are cases where there really is no responsible adult to take care of this child. There is some adoptive parent that would love to take care well, of this child. Well, that's absolutely true. But And then you run into the question of if you are the judge, are you essentially not only sentencing this woman to prison, but also sentencing her to losing her child? That's actually what this article makes mention of, that the same sentence is being borne by not only mother and the child. But should, should we be having different, you know, laws, for instance, for women who commit the same crimes as men just because, well, you know, I mean, we, we care about the woman's bond with her child. Maybe right. Why the aren't woman... there nurseries in male se sections of prisons? Sure. I'm sure that lawsuit well, not... is coming soon. Yeah. But I do want to say here, you know, on our theme of systems that are serving they're supposed to be serving children and maybe not doing such a good job. I think that the prison nurseries and visits in prison are something that we really need to look very carefully at. A lot of the advocates of them talk about how great this is for the parents, how great this is for the mothers yep. that they get to bond with their child, how much of an incentive this serves for kind of rehabilitative efforts, which is great. It's just that that's not the purpose of this child. Well, and also, is it good for a child regularly to be going into a jail? That seems to normalize the concept of jail in a way that's not necessarily the healthiest from their developmental perspective. Right. Well, are you there know, we were trying to remove the stigmas of all of this, as you know. Yeah. But, you know, are there studies that show what the impact is on a young child that from zero to three is being raised in a jail? Like Right. So, so prison nurseries are still a pretty small programs, but they have been around for a while. I think that when I looked at the literature on this, and people can go read the National Affairs article that I wrote at the AEI website. A lot of these studies, I think the sample size is very small, and then it mysteriously becomes smaller as more and more women are kicked out of these programs as well. But I do want to move on to our, our next topic, and I want to, because it's, it's actually related to this topic, as you mentioned, obviously, there are, there are a lot of men in, in prison, too. Takes many, two to tango. Many more, and fathers in prison. And so, you know, one of the, the issues that I think is obviously overlooked and really just downplayed so much is the importance of fathers in the lives of children. Sure. Particularly, and in, in, there's a lot of interesting evidence on this, particularly of daughters. That is a relationship that is often overlooked. I mean, we talk about how boys need male role models. What do girls need fathers for? Oh, no, absolutely. And this subject is really important because, again, most people don't realize over the last four or five decades, there has been an explosion in non-marital birth rates, particularly to young women, 24 and under. 
wonder. I mean, the data just came out for the 2018 year, and for white women 24 and under, 61% of those who had children were outside of marriage. In the black community, it was 91%. So That's you have a large, po- it's, it's staggering, right? It's a large population of children being born. And then within that are very high numbers of parents who are now incarcerated, right? So you've got Households being raised without present fathers. And what is the impact of that? And unfortunately, there's a lot of data on this, you know, that fatherless girls are seven times more likely to become pregnant as teens. You You talk about a cycle of poverty, cycle of bad things happening. Right. I think society has really turned this into kind of a joke. I mean, you always, you know, see these people criticizing evangelicals for, you know, father-daughter dances and having purity pledges and all the rest of it. And you see, like, you know, the, the fathers have become like, you know, this kind of 1950s joke, like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna take my rifle out if any guy comes right. near my daughter. Like, this is, but this is not a joke. I mean, it's really, not a joke. the presence of a strong father in the household, a stable, steady person, you know, does several things. I mean, first of all, that person is treating his wife in a particular way. And that sends a message to girls about how they should be treated exactly. and what they should expect from yeah. a boyfriend or a husband. No, no, there's great data on on how it affects a girl's body image, whether or not they actually experience clinical depression over time, other kind of disorders, self-esteem. There are a whole range of outcomes that affect girls and boys. I mean, you know, we're focused right now on girls, but even on boys, you know, last year or two years ago, Raj Chetty put out some amazing, you know, a researcher at Harvard put out amazing research on the impact of what's the likelihood of boys and girls, black boys, experiencing poverty. And there are all sorts of negative outcomes no matter where you started, but the presence of a father in the home or a concentration of fathers in the neighborhood had dramatically different and positive outcomes on the life outcomes for the kids. And it is amazing to me that we have seemed to marginalize dads and the role of fathers, but this is a very real thing. There is even data on the timing of the onset of puberty for girls being affected by the consistent presence of a father in the household. That's incredible, just how our bodies, how physically we respond to family structure. And something that, again, is just downplayed to a ridiculous extent. And it really shouldn't be a topic that's owned on the left nor the right. Like these are these are fundamental issues. And again, when we say it's a cross race, when 61% of white women 24 and under are having kids outside of wedlock, That means the raw number of kids being raised without strong fathers is much higher in the white community. So these issues affect kids across race and we should be developing solutions that address it. Right. I mean, if you're if you're a feminist, you should care about the body image that girls have of themselves, about the kind of relationship that and the kind of way that they should expect to be treated by men. Those are again, those are not issues on the left or the right. Those are issues that we should all share a concern about. It's a nonpartisan issue if we're concerned about poverty, if we're concerned about incarceration. All of these things oftentimes link back to what is the relationship of the children to their parents and the level of stability was it within their household. And often that is linked to the stability of a, a strong father yeah. in the home. So speaking of family structure, we're going to continue on this theme for a little bit. 
There was a big new study that yeah, came out on uh, recently. Suicides. Yeah. So so tell me what this what the study said. Yes. Yeah, so so evidently, you know, there is this reputation that when youth suicide is spoken about, often it is the reputation is that's really amongst whites, but amongst all the issues that young black kids face, suicide is often said, well, that's just not done in the black community. But recent research says that Actually, the suicide rate amongst black children is actually one of the highest amongst other racial categories. And there's some congressional leaders who now say that there's a crisis in the black community. And, you know, there are a lot of reasons why this might be happening, one of which could actually be linked to things like family structure. But there are other things, too, that is being cited. Yeah. So the, the report is called Ring the Alarm, the Crisis of Black Youth Suicide in America. And it was conducted by the Congressional Black Caucus. So the culprits that they point to for this, I think, are, are sort of interesting and maybe a little bit odd, given what we do know about the things that cause depression and suicide. For instance, you know, they suggest that we should prohibit federal funds from being used for conversion therapy and prohibit the awarding of federal grants to states that continue to allow it. This sort of jumped out at me. I know, how they made that connection is beyond me. It, it's, it's like... Are you kidding me? Like, where did that come from? Yes. But not to minimize the issue, but that just seems like causality seems very strange there. Right. And so, but I really, you know, started to think about, again, let's let's return just for a minute to family structure here. I mean, when you have these kind of d- disintegrating families, you have more and more people living alone, more yep. and more people living with a single parent, people sort of more and more disconnected. And isolated. From, and isolated from their families. They're becoming more disconnected from their religious communities, you know, church attendance is down, even in the black community where it's consistently been quite high. You see church attendance going down. The f- Especially amongst boys and the, men. Yeah, absolutely. The fragmenting of these communities, it is easy to see how people become isolated, depressed, and how suicide becomes more of a problem. And unfortunately, it becomes somewhat they're copycats in a sense. If, yeah. if, if suicide is normalized, it starts to spread. And so this is yet another thing that now is jumping out in the media. And, you know, you have to also say, if you're a young black person, how often do you hear of all the structural barriers that you're going to face in your life? The housing discrimination, the structural racism, the systemic barriers. You know, to some degree, after a while, you start to think, wow, what shot do I really have? It's the word pipeline. That mm. that is the one that kills me the every school time. To prison the school pipeline. to prison, the foster care to prison pipeline. What that word conveys is a sense of inevitability and powerlessness. You, powerlessness. You are doomed absolutely to be entering the criminal justice system if you are, or you're going to be shot by police if you are a young black man, or even if you're a young black woman, you're gonna you're gonna end up going to jail. Right. That's I just run, your destiny. Right. I run a network of schools. Everything we do is to combat that exact. Mm-hmm sentiment. There is no school to prison pipeline for you as an individual because you're not powerless. And in fact, you are powerful. You have the ability to control your life. And I think we need to speak more to not only black youth, but youth of every color, every race, every income level about the personal agency that they actually have within their own life. So there isn't this inevitability. So yes, I mean, it looks like the you know numbers are going up in terms of black youths, but what is it that we're What's the message that we're sending to these young people about the options that they do have in their lives? Right. It's the, it's the economic options. It's also the options for how they're going to build their own family and their own community. 
while we're at the Manhattan Institute, I just want to put in a plug for Kay Heimowitz's piece from mm. last year alone. The decline of the family has unleashed an epidemic of loneliness. She Absolutely. is one of the few people who's talking about the connection between the decline of the family and suicide. And it's amazing that more people are not sort of, you know, getting onto this and understanding, you know, the, the connection between these two things. And by the way, there is research from the Princeton folks on deaths of despair, again, even in the white community, yeah. that the deaths related to alcoholism, drug abuse, those all connect back to loneliness and there is a direct correlation with family structure as well. Absolutely. All right. Well, hopefully we can get our message across that some of these systems that are not serving children should be and that there are lots of systems out there like the family. That That are not necessarily governmental. Yes, that are doing a good job. Are a great antidote. uh, Exactly, to the problems that we're facing. So thank you again for joining us on Are You Kidding Me? I'm Naomi Schaefer-Riley. And I am Ian Rowe. And you can find Are You Kidding Me? on the AEI website or wherever you find your podcast. It's going to be released on the second and fourth Wednesday of every month. And we hope you'll join us again. Bye-bye. 